Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our special message, How to Survive a Hurricane, where we discover how our firm foundation in Jesus can help us withstand any storm. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. All right, what's up, church? Hey, great to see you. I'm Pastor Tim. I want to say welcome back from summer, vacation, the beach, wherever you were. It is almost fall, and so we're kind of kicking off our flip-flops, getting back into rhythms of work and school. And uh, as you know, we're calling this season at Liquid Homecoming. Uh, and so can we just welcome home all of our campuses? Give them a big hand. Welcome, guys. Special shout out today to our Somerset County campus who just moved into their new home at Somerville High School. We are just so happy for you guys. So welcome home, Somerset. Now here's the deal. Let me just tell you, we had plans to celebrate today with a a marching band and a pep rally. But honestly, so many of our families and neighbors are still hurting from the catastrophic flooding caused by Hurricane Ida. Uh, We know families who lost homes, cars, suffered traumatic loss. And and honestly, just as I was praying, I felt the Lord saying, you know what, Tim, just kind of go in a different direction. So is that okay with you? Well, we'll get to the pep rally next week, but this isn't really a time for, for hoopla, you know, because our hearts hurt for so many families who are still digging out from the damage caused by Ida. Some lost all. You know, the storm took the lives of 27 people. It's one of the deadliest now in New Jersey history. So I want to let you know how you're responding, our church. It was difficult for me to process um, the pictures that we saw last week. You know, people being, being plucked from their homes by, by rescue boats, rivers overrunning their Banks flooding entire neighborhoods, homes, and highways. The, the Somerset Patriots baseball stadium, did you see it? It's completely underwater. It's, it's, un, it's unbelievable. Entire communities in Manville and Elizabeth just utterly devastated by floodwaters. But can I tell you, it, it made me so proud of our campus teams who immediately swung into action over Labor Day weekend bringing relief supplies and support to hurting families. Can I just brag on our our leaders a minute? In Union County, we provided emergency meals to 150 families in Elizabeth who were displaced and are in a shelter. Um, Our campuses are actually hosting a pack out for city relief. You guys know the the relief bus um, who served the homeless and they lost everything. Their whole headquarters in Elizabeth was flooded by two feet of water. They sent me the photos, it's a disaster. Uh, destroyed furniture, food, and all the relief supplies were ruined. So we're going to help them rebuild from the ground up, uh, doing cleanup, demo, packing hygiene kits for their volunteers so service to our homeless friends can continue. Um, in Passaic, they're under a boil water advisory, still impacting about 145,000 people in Patterson. And so we're partnering with Convoy Hope to truck in, check this out, 1,800 cases of bottled water. We got a full 53-foot tractor trailer load so residents have safe, clean drinking water. Uh, in Morris, we're hosting a free market, not a flea market, a free market. Just give away um, essentials, clothing, uh, toys, new toiletries, small appliances to people who lost everything. Um, in Somerset and Middlesex, uh, we are restocking the shelves of neighborhood food banks devastated by the flooding. So we do need your donations of food and canned goods so we can feed local families in the weeks ahead. And I got an email from this week from a chief development officer who said, you know, I just want to thank Tim Liquid Church for their, your quick response of your people uh, to help our staff and team recover from this disaster. So guys, understand something if you go to this church. At Liquid, we don't just go to church. We are the church, amen? Can we hear for our volunteers? Praise God for you, man. This is a love thy neighbor moment, man, and that's faith in action. 
Now, I do want you to understand, this is only the beginning. This isn't one and done. So as the waters recede in the weeks ahead, a lot of families are still going to need our help. So last week, we set up a hurting families relief fund to help our neighbors rebuild their lives, and I want to invite you to help. If you take out your phone and you type in liquidchurch.com relief, or you can go there if you're online, you're going to find all the details. You're like, how do I donate stuff? You can find all the details there. There's actually two options, get help or give help. So if you're in a financial position to give help, know that your generous support is going to help deliver God's love to the doorstep of our hurting neighbors. It's going to provide relief supplies, grocery clothing, help build back their lives. Uh, all donations are 100% tax deductible, so thank you to everyone who gave help. But if you need assistance, just click give help, uh, or get help, I should say, and know this. We stand ready to come alongside your family. We want to stand with you in this moment. Again, we don't go to church. We are the church. And in dark moments, we shine the light and love of Jesus to our neighbors. Say amen if you agree. So this week, I'm praying about how, how can I encourage people, you know? And, and God led me to write this message I'm calling, How to Survive a Hurricane. Now, whether or not you were impacted by Ida, I need to let you know, this applies to all of us. <laughs> because we've all been through the hurricane of COVID, still going through it a little bit. We've been through an economic hurricane, a racial hurricane, a political hurricane. It's like every day, there's more and more head-scratching events that kind of shake our world and cause us to question our faith. And I, I, I promise, this is going to encourage you. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm in chapter 7. Uh, we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. This is Jesus concluding the greatest sermon series ever preached. It's not at the movies. <laughs> it's the Sermon on the Mount, which we studied last spring. You guys remember that? Crazy happy, blessed are the poor, the merciful, the peacemakers. Well, Jesus concluded his famous sermon by telling a story about two men who get hit with a hurricane. Two men whose homes get hit with torrential rain, rising floodwaters, and gale force winds. And though both their homes are beaten and battered in the same way, they have two totally different outcomes. At the end of the storm, one stands strong, high and dry, while the other, his home, comes crashing down, total loss. Let's read Matthew 7 together. My Bible calls this the wise and foolish builders. Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the what? On the rock. Say rock. The rain came down. The streams rose. <laughs> the winds blew and beat against that house. But man, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the, everybody? On the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house, and it what happened? It fell with a great crash. Everyone say crash. I remember first hearing this story when I was a little kid in Sunday school. Uh, Miss Lillian taught us a song. The rains came down and the floods came up, and the house on the sand went splat. Anybody remember that song? Clint, you need me on the worship team? This, that's a gift right there. This story Jesus tells is fascinating because these two guys have a lot in common. Did you notice? Both men actually share the same dream, if you're taking notes. They both wanted to build a house. We don't know if it was a colonial, split level, <laughs> two, two bedrooms or four, but both men had this vision, a desire. They're like, we want to build a house that lasts. Now, in the Bible, it's interesting. A house can represent a few different things. It could represent building a life, right? You, we all want to erect a life that's solid, 
that, that, that's stable, that's successful, a life that's meaningful, right? Makes a difference, leaves a legacy. We all want that. Building a house can also represent building a family, right? Families live in homes. A lot of us have that dream in the Bible. Think about it. Families are called the house of David, or the house of Saul. We all want a family home marked by harmony, love and trust, not abuse and conflict. So a house could represent a life. It could represent building a family. But a house could also represent a church. You and I are called the household of faith. Right now we're meeting in the house of God. So a house can represent building a ministry that's strong, that's spiritually violent. Uh, not violent. <laughs> spiritually violent. <laughs> well, some churches are like that. Spiritually vibrant. That's what we're trying to do at Liquid. My guess is you are trying to build all three. You, you got a dream too, right? You want a life to be proud of. You want a family that's stable and intact. And we all want to be part of a church that's strong and solid, stands the test of time. So we all fit in Jesus' story. Both men shared the same dream. And not only that, they heard the same message. Did you notice this? Jesus said, these two men heard these words of mine. These guys went to the same Bible church. Isn't that cool? They had the same preacher, Pastor Jesus. A lot better than me. <laughs> You don't get better than that because you've got the written word of God being preached by the living word of God. So these guys go to the same church and they heard the same scripture. It's not like one's an atheist or the other's a Christian. They both valued the Bible and took time to listen to the word of God. They've got the same dream, heard the same message. And notice, both men lived in the same neighborhood. Did you see that, Mike? Now, I know you may say, wait, wait, wait. I didn't say anything about the location, Tim, of their houses. But you can infer they lived in the same geographic region because both men faced the same exact storm. They got hit with a hurricane. You're like, well, how, how do we know it's a hurricane? Well, look at Jesus' description. It's pretty precise. Verse 27. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And what happened? It fell with a what? A great crash. Now, I'm not a meteorologist, but I think you'd agree. Anytime you get hit with torrential rain, rising floodwaters, and high-speed winds that knock a building over, that's called a hurricane. <laughs> cat 4, Cat 5, I don't know. Reality is, no matter where you live, we all get hit by storms, don't we? Last week, um, someone's got a few inches of water in the basement. Others had their first floor flooded or roof ripped off. Why? Because that's life in a broken world still under the curse. Our circumstances may be different, but one thing is true. We all get rained on, don't we? Life isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish I could preach that to you and tell you Jesus had the keys to your Tesla. Just wait and keep praying. It's not that way. We all face trials and tribulations, tragedies that make us cry and question the foundation we're building. These guys had so much in common. They had the same dream. They went to the same church, heard the same message, faced the same storm. And yet, and yet, they had completely opposite outcomes. You catch that? Jesus says there's a twist. When the storm's over, one is standing strong, high and dry, and the other is in a pile of rubble on the floor, completely collapsed. Total loss. Why? So last week I saw this video, you probably saw it, went viral, of a New Jersey family who lives in Cranford whose house got flooded. And uh, you can take a look in the video, a teenage boy, you can see him kind of walking through his basement in water up to his ankles. And what's crazy, though, is what happens next. Because the rain was coming down so hard and the flood water is rising so quickly, the basement walls literally burst open and flooded the family's entire home. Look at the furniture just like floating around. It's crazy. Now, fortunately, nobody got hurt. 
the boy got trapped in the basement, but he made it out after being rescued by his father. Jesus said when this storm hit, there were two very different outcomes. For the wise man, he said, the rain came down, the, the split streams rose, and the winds beat and blew against the house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the what? On the rock. But for the foolish man, same thing. Rain comes down, streams up, wind beats and blows, and it fell with a great crash. What's the difference? The answer is the two men built two totally different foundations. And Jesus says it revealed something about their character. Notice that Jesus calls the first guy a wise man, and the second man he calls a moron. Now, the Greek word for foolish, that's where we get the word moron from. <laughs> and see, in Scripture, that's the difference between being wise and being a fool. Did you know that? Wisdom in the Bible has nothing to do with academic degrees. It doesn't matter if you graduate from college, you dropped out of high school. In the Bible, wisdom has nothing to do with your academic credentials. How many of you know an educated fool somewhere? Don't point to him. In the Bible, wisdom is the ability to take God's instruction and actually apply it to your life. And Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Puts them, say it together, puts them into practice. That's the wise man. In other words, Jesus is matching his theology with feetology. He says, you can't just listen to God's word. You got to put feet to your faith and actually put it into practice if you want to build on solid rock. Fools don't do that. They got the same dream, they hear the same words, but they don't do anything with it. Proverbs is actually full of the fools who, who hear the truth, but they don't live it out. And as a result, the men built totally different foundations for their faith. One builds on rock, one builds on sand. What's the difference? Answer, money and time. See, if you're going to build on rock, it's going to cost you a lot of money. <laughs> and it's going to take you a long time. Building on sand is actually much cheaper, much faster, at least in the short term. Have you guys, my brother lives in San Francisco. Have you guys heard of the Millennium Tower? It, it, it's a luxury skyscraper in downtown San Francisco. Here's a picture. It's 58 stories of gleaming glass and steel. It's actually filled with luxury condominiums in 2009. Uh, it opened and it cost a half a billion dollars to build, okay? People were like architectural masterpiece, um, you know, earthquake resistant. And the luxury condos there sold very quickly to tech barons, celebrities, snatched up Joe Montana, quarterback for the 49ers, he bought a unit. And the penthouse apartment sold for 13 million. That must have some bidet, right? I mean, that's a, but, but there's just one problem with this, this thing. Shortly after construction, the Millennium Tower started to tilt a little bit. To lean, like the leaning tower of pizza, just an inch at first, then another inch, then another, another, until the whole building sank 18 inches and began leaning 14 inches, actually, to the left. It's the tilting tower of San Francisco. The engineering flaw actually only came to light when one of the residents shot a video. He put a marble on his floor, the hardwood floors of his million-dollar apartment, and the marble rolled all over because the building is leaning so much. What's the problem? Well, the builders of the Millennium Tower decided they weren't going to drill down a bedrock. They said, we're going to take a little shortcut. We ain't going down that far. We're going to put the foundation on sand, a mixture of clay, mud, sand, and dirt. They never drilled down to rock, and guess what? Right now, it's going to cost them very, very 
dearly. Watch this. Homeowners in luxury San Francisco high-rise are furious this morning over their sinking investment, you could call it. The 58-story Millennium Tower has reportedly sunk 16 inches since its completion back in 2009. It's also, by the way, leaning toward the Pacific. No problem there. Carter Evans is in San Francisco with why this building has moved so much. Carter, good morning. Good morning. Condos in this famous glass tower range from about a million dollars to more than $10 million. But now the building is listing, and that's giving residents a sinking feeling. The Millennium Tower is home to some of San Francisco's rich and famous. Joe Montana once lived here, and Giants outfielder Hunter Pence is among current residents who've recently been told the building is sinking. Jerry and Pat Dotson bought their condo in 2009. We paid uh, $2.1 million for the apartment. And you get a great view for it. Right. But you're getting closer to the ground every day. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, the building has sunk uh, 16 inches. But that's not all. The building is tipping. It's leaning 15 inches out towards the west from here. Unlike some other new San Francisco high-rises, the Millennium Tower is not anchored in bedrock. You can see that this building has been settled. Ray Sullivan, a geologist with San Francisco State University, leads tours of the city's sinking and leaning buildings. He says the area where the Millennium Tower is built used to be in the water. After the gold rush, parts of the bay were filled in to create more land. Bedrock is two or three hundred feet below us. It's a long way down. There's a lot of mud, lots of sand on top. And I would be concerned if we have a major earthquake. There's a lot of finger pointing going on right now. But the one fact remains, if they had drilled pilings down to bedrock, would we be here? No, that is the heart of the problem. Can you imagine paying $2 million for a two-bedroom apartment and the building goes, eh? <laughs> Uh, we shouldn't be surprised. Everything in California kind of leans a little left, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, now, now, of course, the lawyers are involved, right? The homeowners are actually suing the developer. The developers are suing the city. It's a total mess. Uh, but they actually came up with a $100 million solution. This is recent news. The developers agreed they were going to drill new pilings hundreds of feet down into the bedrock to stabilize the high-rise. But guess what? Literally last week, they had to stop construction because the building tilted another inch as soon as they started drilling. I mean, talk about a mess. Um, I got a friend in the construction business, and I, I said to him this week, I said, hey, why, why didn't they drive the piles down into bedrock? And he said, easy. It costs a ton of money to drill 200 feet down all the way to bedrock. He said it's cheaper and faster to build on the surface, whether it's clay or sand or whatever. What's the point? In Jesus' story here in Matthew, the wise man dug down deep. He went the hard way to build his foundation on solid rock. And when the storms came, it stood strong because he built house to last. But the foolish man, what did he do? He took the easier route, the cheaper route. He built on shifting sand. He wanted a, maybe a, a flashy house for show, right? A house people would drive by and go, oh, look, beautiful. It was for show. It wasn't for depth. And when the storm hit, it came down with a crash because he had a flawed foundation. So here's my question for you. What foundation are you building on? Your life, your family, your business, your faith. What foundation are you building on? 
Because as long as the sun is shining, right, you may not care what you're building on. But notice something. Storms have a way of exposing the strength of your foundation. We've been through a lot of storms over the last 18 months, right? I mean, it's not just, it's not just Hurricane Ida. We've been through the hurricane of COVID, the hurricane of racial unrest, the hurricane of political division. And right now, with the hurricane winds of culture swirling around us, can I just say as your pastor, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that some of you are building a faith on sand. And it's not going to last. Maybe you're like, well, how do I know I'm building on sand, Tim? What I've noticed is there are three warning signs that you're building on sand. Right now, as I look at our world, I see three things. Culture is shifting. Christians are drifting. And God is sifting his church. There's a shifting, a drifting, and a sifting going on right now. Have you noticed that the culture is shifting? I mean, it's been cracking for many years, but the shift away right now from biblical values has been head-snapping over the last five years. The, the, the cultural headwinds are very, very strong right now, and they're blowing against the church, against biblical truth. Um, cultural norms are shifting very quickly. Uh, gender is now fluid. Marriage is outdated. Christians are bigots. And a lot of people are rejecting many of the biblical norms that God established for how people should live and relate to one another. Um, you've got disillusioned believers who are deconstructing their faith. I don't know what is true anymore. People are questioning the church as an institution. Does it hurt and abuse people? If you're, if you're a person of faith, have you, have you felt that cultural shift right now? It can almost feel like hostility, like people are attacking you personally. But remember, even though people are hostile towards biblical truth, doesn't mean you have to be hostile to them. In fact, remember our identity. We are followers of Christ. We're not a nation or a political party. We follow the crucified Nazarene who said, hey, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, who reject you. So understand in a shifting culture, we hold fast to our position, but our posture is one of love and grace. We're open-armed. And I get it, guys. It's hard to be open-armed, right? When you, when you feel under attack. So it's no surprise as our culture is shifting, Christians are drifting. They've been hit with these hurricane force winds of cultural change. And fewer people are attending church. I mean, Bible reading, it's at an all-time low. Evangelism is now seen as like, that's too aggressive, you know? Why would you force, force your beliefs on somebody? And Christians are out in the water kind of adrift with no anchor. Uh, I've noticed a lot of believers kind of embracing, I'll just be honest, false ideologies or basing their beliefs on human opinion or what feels good or is easier to go along with. Now, this is not a surprise. I'll just tell you. In fact, Jesus himself predicted this. When he was describing um, the end times, here's what Jesus says. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Jesus says, actually, because of the wickedness in the world, the love of many Christians will grow cold. And I'm seeing that right now. Like, as your pastor, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that people haven't returned to church in person. And, and I'm not guilting anybody. Obviously, COVID has interrupted all of our rhythms of worship and prayer and small groups. But I'm seeing people giving up on faith. Like a lot of the foundational practices that kept us anchored in Christ have been washed away by the hurricane of COVID. And people have kind of retreated into isolation in their homes, right? And, and we wonder then why people feel battered and, and their lives are crashing down. People filled with record levels of anxiety, depression, fear, and anger. Guys, we've been through a lot of storms the last 18 months. The culture is shifting. Christians are drifting. But I believe God is sifting his church. You know what I mean by sifting? In the Bible, sifting is how you separate the wheat from the chafe. 
what you did is you would take the husk of wheat and you'd rub it in your hands to separate the grain from the husk. Jesus actually said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat. And I believe right now that the Lord is sifting his church. I mean, we're watching ministries literally rise and fall. Pastors and church leaders living double lives of hypocrisy and scandal and abuse. And suddenly when the hurricane hits, because the foundation of that ministry is built on sand, the whole house comes crashing down. The Lord's sifting his church. He's separating the Christians who are committed from the Christians who are chameleons. The one who to try to blend in and fit in, but, but don't really want to do what the Lord requires. I mean, let me just ask you, how many of you know there's a big difference between believing in God and actually believing God? Most Americans believe in God, but they don't actually believe God and take his word at face value as the final authority for their life and teaching. You know, when John the Baptist described Jesus, he said this. He said, uh, he is ready to separate the chafe from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chafe with never-ending fire. That's a tough verse. That's savage, man. Friends, I can't water this down, but God will not use a compromised church. A church that looks like the rest of the world, talks like the rest of the world, and just acts like the rest of the world. So he's, he's sifting us in this season. He's separating the wheat from the chafe, the sheep from the goats. Those who hear the word, but don't do it, morons, and those who hear God's word, take it to heart and actually put it into practice. See, storms always reveal the nature of your foundation. Are you building on rock or sand? You know, this week I talked with um, a woman at our church, uh, I'm friends with, uh, and her whole home was flooded. Their family's house, the first floor, uh, got completely flooded. Um, her carpet soaked is pretty new. It warped the wood floors underneath. They're all wavy gravy now. And she said, actually told my husband's car, Tim. Um, but she was, she was fine, but it was really amazing because her house was a disaster, but I could hear in her spirit, it was still very strong and actually full of joy. I was like, what's behind that? She said, you know, it reminded me, this is just earthly stuff, Tim. All this stuff doesn't matter in the long run. I've, I've got my eyes on eternity. And I was surprised because even though she was surrounded by devastation, she wasn't devastated. Why? Because her hope was built on something solid. The rock, the hope of eternity that we have in Christ. Again, hurricanes reveal what kind of foundation your faith is built on. Are you building on rock or sand? Understand, if, if, you're in a, if you're in a storm right now, I just want to encourage you. In Christ, the storm may be strong, but your Savior is stronger. Amen? He was built for this storm. And we all need to remember that because Hurricane Ida, guys, it ain't the last storm we're going to see. There's more to come. I mean, it's been said you're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're about to go into one. <laughs> and so here at the start of the fall, as you reestablish your spiritual rhythms and routines, I just want to gently ask you, what foundation are you building on? What, what spiritual practices are you prioritizing? What are you doing to just drive those pylons of your faith down deep into bedrock and anchor your family? What are you modeling for your kids? Let me kind of challenge you. This is, I want to invite you to see this as a reset moment for some of you. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, Tim, I've seen the, the shift and I, I certainly have felt the drift. And now you understand the sift. This is a moment God's inviting you to recalibrate. And make sure you're building your life, your family, your home, your ministry, this church on rock, not sand. So I want to close with three pilings or three spiritual practices to really drive your faith in Christ down deep into bedrock this fall. If you're taking notes, the first piling is corporate worship. I'm going to risk saying something kind of crazy. You ready for this? 
I want to invite you to come worship in person this fall. <laughs> in person. No disrespect to those watching church online, but here's the deal. If you're watching online, the problem is you're probably just watching, right? Most likely, you're probably not actively worshiping. That is, that's what it is for me. I can, confe can I confess a secret sin to you? I'm a pastor, and when I go to church online, I actually don't worship. I, I, don't, I, I watch worship, but I, I don't sing in my living room. I, I don't put a hand on someone and pray for people after the service in the kitchen. I just watch other people do that. You, you know what I'm talking about? The difference between being in person with the people of God and kind of watching online. And look, I get it. It's, it's, it is nice to have a cup of coffee. I'll just be honest and watch church from your couch, okay? But as your pastor, I just want to invite you. There's more. God has more for you. There's more to corporate worship than just watching. Church online is wonderful, by the way. I just want to, in fact, just take a moment. Can we thank our volunteers for our amazing online ministry? You guys are building community and you're the front door of our church. But we want people to step through that door into the living room and connect in real life, IRL, with the family of God. I'm just, I'm just telling you as a pastor, just sharing my heart. Is this okay? I'm just seeing too many believers who are isolated all alone at home. And again, I get it. Life feels overwhelming right now. But I want to invite you out of isolation into live worship because Christianity is not a spectator sport, guys. It's an action sport. And there's something very special about being in the house of God, worshiping alongside the people of God in the presence of God, where two or three are gathered, Jesus says, I'm right there in the middle of them. Some of you here worshiping in person, am I right? Do you agree? In person, what do you, you feel the Spirit's presence. Let me tell you something I've never done. Um, when I'm, I'm scrolling through a pre-recorded service on my phone, I rarely cry, <laughs> you know? I really feel convicted. So, sometimes you just need another believer, you know? to put their hand on your shoulder, pray for you in person. So I'm just inviting you. If you haven't experienced worship in person in months, we miss you, man. Your brothers and sisters miss you, and it's homecoming season, so come on home, all right? Again, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. And again, church online, huge blessing. When you're sick, you're traveling, you can't make it in person. But let's just be honest. The hurricane of COVID blew away the regular rhythm of in-person worship for most of us. And that was necessary for a season, but now we've got to build a new habit, flex a new muscle, because it's not healthy long-term. It's not sustainable. Listen to what God says. He's calling us to this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the Bible says, some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. In other words, as the storms grow stronger in these last days, Christians actually should be meeting to worship and encourage each other more, not less. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. It actually means assembly. So people need to assemble in person for worship. That's how God designed his church to work. It's like, read the instructions. Assembly is required. So if you're going to grow your faith deep and strong, anchored on rock, parents, I just understand something. How you treat church on weekends is discipling your children. Like they're learning right now whether faith is optional or priority. And, and you know this intuitively, right? Like if your kid plays sports, let's say they play soccer or volleyball or football or, or they cheer. If you wanted your child to develop their athletic abilities, would you say, you know what, son? Skip practice in person this week and just go watch more YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. don't get out in the, on the field and flex your muscles. Just watch games on TV, right? Like, well, what? No, of course not. You instinctively know they're not going to develop their skills and their gifts as an athlete. 
They need to show up to practice and actually play in the game in person. That's how you develop as an athlete. Same with church. You've got to show up and worship in person if you're going to grow stronger as a disciple of Christ. So can I just challenge you? Make corporate worship a priority this fall. Every week, worshiping God with the people of God in the house of God. Drive that pylon deep down into bedrock. Now, the second pylon is community. You are building on rock when you're in weekly community with other brothers and sisters. What that means is you're praying with other Christians. You're opening God's words. You're studying the Bible. You're, you're, you're sharing and carrying each other's burdens. If you're new to Liquid, we actually believe community happens best in small groups. Now, small groups are 8 to 12 believers. They meet during the week for Bible study, prayer, and fellowship. And you've come at a perfect time because in just three weeks, we are starting a brand new small group series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It is an eight-week course that will drive you deep into the Bible in the context of community. We're going to study spiritual practices such as silence and stillness, how to Sabbath. We're going to teach you about your family of origin. How do you deal with grief and loss in a season like this? How do you get through walls when you feel dry in the Christian life? This is going to be a very rich series. I believe it's going to be a life-changing series for some of you. But guess what? You have to be in a small group to participate in that. Christianity ain't a solo sport. So if you're, it's only if you're growing and tethered and anchored in community. If you're not, you will drift spiritually. That's just a fact. I'm telling you, you can listen to sermons every week and be untransformed. You shouldn't worship in person every week and be untransformed because it's a big crowd. You need to have people who know your story, can love on you, pray with you, and carry each other's burdens as Christ commands. Did you know there's a hundred commands in the New Testament? They're called the one another commands. You know, like when Jesus says, like, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, serve one another. My question is this, how do you obey the one another's if you all by yourself? (laughs) Christianity is a community sport. We actually need each other to live our faith as Jesus envisioned. So I'm just calling you out of isolation. Go get in a group this fall. Sign up for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You got some info on the way in today. You'll be very glad you did. Finally, I'll close with this. The last pylon I want to challenge you to drill down deep this fall is serving. Jesus' story here in Matthew, it is a call to action. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and says a prayer and believes the right things is like a wise man. No, he doesn't say that. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Say it together, church. Puts them into practice. He's matching theology with feetology. You've got to put feet to your faith. When you see your neighbor hit by a hurricane, suffering loss of their home, their livelihood, their dreams, you cannot sit on your couch. Get off the couch. Get off your blessed assurance and serve them. Sacrificially, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Did you know serving others actually is a form of worship? James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. A lot of talk, I'm interested in walk. So it's not enough to come to church. You've got to put your faith in action. And guys, it is our privilege to do that this fall as we serve hurting families who are flooded by Ida. We're going to clothe, we're going to feed them, we're going to love on them, help them rebuild their lives as a church. So when you leave today, don't you forget, go to liquidchurch.com relief. When you get home, you can sign up to help. It is a privilege to serve in God's house, amen? And you've got a chance to do that this fall on a dream team. At every campus, I'm just telling you, we still need volunteers. We'll put on a jersey, get down on the field and get in the game. So if you're kind of coming back, you're like, homecoming, what is that? I guess I'll come home, I'll I'll check out church. If you've been away, you haven't served in a while, awesome, we need you. 
If you're watching on church online, come back, put the jersey on, man. Get on the field and serve on a team. And if you're new, because I see a lot of new people at our campuses, or you've never served, man, this is your moment to get involved. Homecoming is a season to reunify. It's to come together as a family of God, make new friends. And I want you to imagine with me, I want you to just think about what God could do through this church if everybody was worshiping and serving together, not scattered, but unified as one church. As the cultural winds blow and rage, and we stand strong like the house on the hill because it's built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Imagine the world, it's going a different direction, but then they see those people in the middle of the storm, and they're worshiping and serving and carrying one another's burdens. Why? Because we're just imitating our Savior, Jesus. What could God do through a people committed to worship and community and serving others in the name of Jesus? Guys, those are the three bedrock beliefs, the pylons, the foundational practices I want to invite you to give yourself to as a church this fall. So let me encourage you, drill down deep. Anchor your family and build a foundation that doesn't just survive but thrives in a hurricane. Amen? Well, today we want to close by committing this ministry season this fall, really to Christ, by celebrating communion together. Um, at our live locations, we gave you a communion cup on the way in. And uh, you can take that out right now. You can rip the foil off the top. And, you know, the cracker in the cup that you received represents the body and the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. Th this is the solid rock. These, these are the twin towers, the foundation of our faith. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He said, that's my blood poured out for you. To forgive your sins. Do that to remember me too. You know what Jesus knew? We're forgetful. He said, they're going to have to be regularly reminded again and again about their ongoing need for a strong foundation of forgiveness, for renewal. Maybe today you realize you need to rebuild your foundation. You may be in a storm right now, but can I just tell you your Savior's stronger. Amen? So if you're an all-in follower of Christ, you are a wise woman. You're a wise man. You've put your full faith in the death of Jesus on the cross. That's the foundation. Your faith in his resurrection to new life. Guys, God loved you so much, so much that he sacrificed his only son to reunite you to him. So if you don't just believe in God, but you believe God, and you trust Christ fully for salvation, you're welcome to receive communion. Let's take a moment for silent prayer. Before we partake, examine yourself, confess your sins to God, consecrate your life anew to him and your family to Christ, and then we'll partake together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you haven't led up thus blowing around aimlessly in a storm, but you have anchored us the very hope we have in Christ. We hold him in our hands, and we thank you, Jesus, that your love can never be in doubt because of what you sacrificed on that cross. That was in my place, Jesus. You are my substitute. So, Father, I ask you to come into my heart afresh. Cleanse it, Father God. Where I've drifted, would you pull me back, Father God, for men and women who feel distant right now? Pull them back. Let them know you love them, that there's forgiveness, that every time we drift far away, we turn around and realize we're the ones running and you never moved. We thank you for communion, which draws us close to you in these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can receive the body and the blood. We'll take it together.
Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.